Amen, amen. Well, you looking forward to the word today? Yeah, I am too. David Mickelson will be sharing and uh, always has a good word. And There's not a word wasted, so listen carefully. And there's, uh, there's a real impactful message for us today. Let's receive it into our hearts. Give David a warm welcome as he comes to talk to us. says it's on. There we go. I try not to get on the stage at the same time as Charity because it creates kind of a beauty in the beast situation. <laughs> Just kidding, Charity. You're not a beast. <laughs> I've told this joke before, but it's worth telling again. And Christmas is about family, and this is a family joke. So here we go. So a son receives a call from his dad, and this, the, dad, the dad is telling his Adult son, listen, your mother and I are getting a divorce. 45 years is long enough. Dad, what are you talking about? And the dad says, well, we can't stand each other anymore. And look, I don't even want to talk about this. You call your sister and tell her, I'm just going to hang up. So the son calls the sister. She says, what? They are not getting a divorce. So she calls her dad and says, dad, you are not getting divorced. Don't do another thing. The two of us are flying tomorrow to talk about this. Until then, don't call a lawyer. Don't file any papers. Do you hear me, Dad? And she hangs up the phone. And the man, the dad, turns to his wife, who he was not divorcing, and says, Okay, they're both coming for Christmas, and they're both paying their own way. (laughs) Good stuff. I always save the dumbest joke for last. A priest, a minister, and a rabbi. As soon as you hear that, you know it's going to be a dumb joke. Okay? A priest, a minister, and a rabbi want to see who is best at their job. So they each go into the woods, find a bear, and attempt to convert it. Something my dad would never do. He's smart enough to go, smart enough to go for people. Uh, later, they get together to compare notes. And the priest says, well, when I found the bear, I read to him from the Holy Catechism and sprinkled him with holy water. Next week is his first communion. And the minister says, well, that's pretty good, but I preached the holy word of God to him, and he got baptized right there on the spot. And they both looked at the rabbi who was lying in a, he was lying on a gurney in a body cast. And he says, looking back, maybe I should not have started with the circumcision. (laughs) Not a good way to convert a bear. I'm looking around to see who's not laughing. Who has a religious spirit? Okay. <laughs> Question from the Old Testament. Let's see who's read their Bible this year. Which king of Israel saw the most amazing miracles? Think hard. Which king of Israel saw the most amazing miracles? Well, let's see here. If you read First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, you know that there were some amazing miracles in that time period. And, uh, well, surely it was one of the good kings, right? I mean, David... Was it David? He saw, he he slew the giant. That's pretty good. Uh, The Lord was always helping him fight the Philistines. He won every battle. What about Solomon? He got the download of wisdom that no one else ever got. And when he dedicated the temple, it filled with a glory cloud. It'd be kind of fun to see a glory cloud. That's good. But there's even bigger ones. So it wasn't those two. So let's keep on looking. You know, if we were to tell all the miracles from the times of the kings, we'd be here all day. We don't want that. I barely had any breakfast. I'm not going to stay here all day. I'm sorry. So... Just a few, I just want to go over a few things. Uh, Let's see here. What happened in that time period? How about a handful of flour and oil lasts for three years, feeding a widow and a prophet during a drought? That's pretty good, right? How about resurrecting the widow's son? 
How about outrunning a team of horses? How about fire coming down from heaven? How about you're sitting on a hilltop and an evil king sends 50 men to arrest you and fire comes down from heaven and, and burns them all up. And so the evil king sends another 50 men and God takes them out too. That's kind of a sad one, but it's a big one. Didn't work out well for the soldier. Note to self, never work for an evil king. How about this one? Leprosy cured. An axe head floated. Loaves multiplied. That wasn't just in the New Testament. That was in Second Kings. That was Elisha. How about an enemy band is attacking your, your country? And a prophet comes, and with a prayer, they all go blind and march passively into captivity. That might be my favorite. That's such a funny... It always cracks me up. Like, here, I'm going to get you, you Israelite dogs. Oh, please take me into captivity. Can't see. Um, you may have noticed all of those were... Uh, Elijah and Elisha. Just those two prophets. Every miracle I just said. How about this one though? 175,000 Assyrians are surrounding Jerusalem. And the emperor Sennacherib is saying all these threats. He's breathing fire at the king. The good king Hezekiah. And in the middle of the night, the angel of the Lord slays every enemy soldier. They wake up, it says they, they woke up and they were all dead. One of, my, one of the great lines in the Bible. They woke up and they were all dead. <laughs> I want to share with you what, I, what king I think it is, because there's a king, it's even more amazing. And the crazy thing to me is it wasn't one of the good kings. In fact, it was one of the worst kings. I'm talking about King Ahab. I bet no one in the room thought King Ahab. I wouldn't have thought it if I was in the audience. But let's just look at this. Bizarre as it may sound. Jezebel's husband is the, is the guy we're talking about. It says he was one of the worst. It comes right out and says it. It's 1631, 1 Kings. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, previous king who did bad things, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built. So he not only built an altar to Baal, he put it in the temple that he built for Baal. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings of Israel before him. That guy? Let's see. Elijah, in 1 Kings 17, tells Ahab to his face, there will be a drought for three years because of all the evil that you've done. Ahab heard the prophetic word to his face with his own ears and then had to live through three years of no rain. Not one drop of rain for three years. That means crops destroyed, cattle destroyed, people starving. It says he was so obsessed with this prophetic word that he sent men into all the surrounding countries trying to find Elijah to get him to reverse the word. They couldn't find him. So he believed that the word was true or why would he have gone after Elijah? So he knew that God was real. What happened next? In the next chapter, 1 Kings 18, it says it's three years later, Elijah shows up out of the blue, confronts Ahab. It says Ahab personally witnesses what happened next. Elijah gathered everyone around, all the children of Israel, and he says, you prophets of Baal, call down fire from heaven. I'm going to call down fire from heaven. We'll see whose God is God. And it says the people were silent. They, wouldn't, they didn't say anything. But when the, when the prophets of Baal danced around all day, cutting themselves and crying out, all the while Elijah's mocking them. I love a good Bible story about mockery. And, you know, call on, maybe, maybe your God is going to the bathroom, stuff like that, so funny. And nothing happened. So then Elijah calls down fire from heaven, and of course it comes down. Ahab saw it with his own eyes. He didn't just hear about it later, he witnessed it. Later that day the rain came, and then, one of the craziest miracles, Elijah outpaces him. The king is on, on a chariot, 
drawn by a team of horses. Elijah's on foot, and he runs faster. Then the king gets, gets there ahead of him. And Ahab saw that. Finally, there's this forgotten story from 1 Kings 20. Nobody talks about this, but it's right there in the Bible. The king of Syria, Ben-Hadad, gathers a huge force, and he marches to Samaria, the, cap- the capital of Israel, and he sends Ahab this message. He says, Your silver and gold are mine, and the best of your wives and children are mine. Not a very nice message to receive. Imagine getting a Christmas card like that in the mail. Uh, All the presents under your tree are mine, and the best of your Christmas cookies are also mine. (laughs) You can have the little sheep with the burnt legs, but you cannot have the Christmas tree with the green sprinkles. Sorry. Now, in the midst of this crisis, we don't see Ahab ever turn to the Lord for help. But interesting fact about this guy, he was willing to listen to the prophets. It shows him listening to the prophets several times, as long as, this was the catch, as long as they told him what he wanted to hear. He would never listen if they gave him a message that they, they, he didn't want to hear. But he gets a message, and this was the message from one of the prophets. Uh, this is 1 Kings 20, chapter 20, verse 13. Do you see this vast army? I will give it into your hand today, and then you will know that I am the Lord. Ahab, like I said, liked this message. So he went on to attack. He listened to the message. Does anybody know people like this? As long as they like the message, they'll listen to whatever God tells them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. I'm not going to read the whole account. But the upshot is Israel, with a tiny army, defeats this huge Syrian army, not once but twice, two years in a row. The second year, this is verse 29, the tiny army of Israel inflicts 100,000 casualties on the Syrians. And then for good measure, the rest of the troops flee to a walled city nearby, and um, they got into a cramped situation when the wall uh, decided to fall on them, and they all died. So that's the Old Testament for you. It's kind of a brutal, brutal book. So all fulfilling the word the Lord had given to Ahab, all witnessed with his own eyes. And that's why I keep repeating this, uh, because God told him why he was doing this, so that you will know that I am the Lord. And you think about the mercy and the kindness of God to reach out to Ahab of all people in this way. You know, we were all like Ahab before we found Jesus. And he just kept on reaching out to us. He just kept on revealing himself to us. And we didn't deserve it, did we? But that's our God. So that you would know that I am the Lord. Wait a moment, some of you might be thinking. What do you mean, so that you would know? Hold on. He had already witnessed the fire with his own eyes. And all the other miracles. Ahab saw the fire come down with his own eyes. He knew. He knew that God was the Lord. Here's the tragedy. Ahab never ends up believing in God. Uh, In fact, he murders somebody to steal his vineyard. Actually, he complains to his wife until she murders him. So, typical guy. (laughs) But God held him guilty for it. And he had to take him out. You murder somebody, there's only so many chances you're going to get in life. And God gave him chance after chance after chance. And his response was to murder and steal. And God told him, in the very place where you murdered that person, your own blood will be licked by the dogs. And that came true later. So it's a tragedy. And it's shocking that someone, the king, the one king who saw more miracles than anyone else, never believed. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because there's actually an application for us. Believe it or not. I'm telling you all this. It is kind of fun to talk about how bad somebody was. Man, that guy was bad. And it's just kind of... But it is a little judgy, so maybe we should move on. 
here's why I'm telling you this. There's something vital here for us from this lesson. And it's actually two things. One is a danger to be avoided, and the other is an opportunity to be embraced. Here's the danger, and this is it. The man or woman with a hardened heart is blind to the truth. The man or woman, Ahab had a hardened heart, and he could see miracle after miracle after miracle, and he never could find the truth. Blind. The hardened heart cannot believe, no matter what it sees and hears, until the person repents and softens their heart. Then it can believe. Now, I'm going to give a quick definition. A hard heart, it just means what it says. It's so calloused by sin that nothing can get through. In fact, in Ezekiel, it refers to a heart of stone. Nothing's getting through that. And then what is a tender heart? Exactly what it sounds like. It's soft, and so the love of God can flow in and flow out. A tender heart is what we're called to. Easy stuff, not very complicated. If you've read Luke, you may remember the aptly named parable of the rich man and Lazarus, which is a parable about a rich man and a guy named Lazarus. And here's what happens. The rich man, I assume he lived an evil life because he dies in the parable and he goes uh, to, to Hades where he's in torment. And then he sees across this canyon and he sees, or chasm, I guess it says, and it's, he sees Lazarus who was poor in life, but he um, went to heaven. It says to Abraham's side, which, aka heaven. And this rich man says, please help me, Father Abraham. And Father Abraham can't help him, sorry, I can't, nothing I can do for you. And then he says, well, send Lazarus to my five brothers who are still alive and warn them about this place so that they can avoid this place of torment. And lost my place, but let me see here. Abraham replies, this is Luke 16, 27 following. He says, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. And he says, no, Father Abraham, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And Father Abraham responds to him, he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. What did that mean? If the word of God itself, the gospel, will not bring a soul to repentance, then that person won't repent even if someone they know is dead comes back to them and warns them. I know Luke is being very literary here. and They won't repent even if someone rises from the dead. He's deliberately referencing who here? Jesus Christ. But that verse is also true just in and of itself. Literally, someone could come back and warn someone, and if their heart is hard, they still won't repent. This is, this is the warning, the dangers of a hard heart. That's what I'm trying to get at. Evangelizing, I've been asked many times, why wouldn't a good God just appear to us? Why is he invisible? If he really wants us to believe in him, why doesn't he show himself to us? You know, reasonable question, right? Anybody ever wondered that? Why is he invisible? Well, Think about this for a second. Some aren't going to believe anyway, even if God appeared to them. I'm going to prove that to you later. But for those who are going to believe, that's hopefully everyone in this room, amen, the gospel message itself is enough. You're going to believe the gospel message itself and carries with it an inherent power. And you don't need God to appear to you because the gospel message itself reaches out to you. And Jesus said, blessed are they who have not seen and yet believe. And so God knows what he's doing with you. But you know, God did appear to the children of Israel as much as they can handle without dying. In Exodus 19 and 20, he hovered over Mount Sinai. You remember? It says he hovered over Mount Sinai and it was um, thick darkness, lightning, earthquakes. They saw the mountain and they trembled. And they said, Moses, you go talk to him. We do not want to go talk to him. 
And so they saw him as much as they could handle with their own eyes. They also could see the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord, it was a very large angel, and it was a pillar of cloud by day, it says, and a pillar of fire by night. They could see that. So they're standing there in the camp. They can see God over the mountain. They, they can see the angel of the Lord right in front of them. And what did they do? They built an idol. And they said, here is your God who brought you out of Egypt. And they worshipped it. While they could see God right there. The dangers of a hardened heart, my friends. Here in Luke 16, we were just reading, Jesus tells us, you could have a ghost. That's not, that's not his word. That's my, my, my interpretation. A ghost of a soul, a dead, a dead relative, come back. Like Jacob Marley in the, A Christmas Carol. Repent. Don't, don't let them do to you what they did to me. And all that. They won't repent. I can't put it any plainer than this. Mary spoke last week about stepping on toes. I'm going to step on some toes. Are you ready? A hard heart makes you stupid. <laughs> Maybe you teach your kids not to use the word stupid. Okay, what can we use? Let's see here. Oh, I did bring a thesaurus. I can't say the word stupid anymore. We used to be able to say it, but now we can't. Stupid. Let's see. Slippy, slappy, slop. Here we go. Brainless. Dazed, deficient, dense, dim, doltish, dopey, gullible, half-baked, half-witted, idiotic, mindless, moronic, nonsensical, obtuse, pointless, simple-minded, slow, sluggish, stupefied, thick-headed, unthinking, witless. There. I didn't say stupid. Now you can't be offended. On the other hand, and here's the opportunity... If you soften your heart, it makes you wise. I just told you how to, how to be wise. Did you get that? If you soften your heart, it makes you wise. That's why the devil tries so hard to get people locked into sin. He knows that sin hardens the heart. He's trying to make you the S word so that he can laugh at you. Paul talks about this exact thing. I'm not just mouthing off here. This is in the Bible. So Ephesians 4.17, he says this. 4.17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must... That you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. I want to make sure I have the same version. Can we go on to the next verse? They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance. That's the word I should have used. Okay. Ignorance that is in them. Why? Due to the hardening of their hearts. Somehow a hard heart makes you ignorant. How does it work? I don't know. Maybe my heart is too hard to figure that out. I don't know. Is there another verse? Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. One more quick example. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, we learn that none of the disciples, none, not even Peter, James, and John, understood about the feeding of the 5,000. And what, what do I mean by that? Well, what happened after that? Uh, Jesus stays on the land. The disciples go out on the lake. It's windy. They're straining against the oars. It says it's night. And they see somebody walking out towards them on the lake. Now, you would think they would be like, oh, that's just Jesus. He does stuff like that. <laughs> but no, they do the only logical thing and assume it's a ghost coming to get them. <laughs> and they cry out and all. <laughs> Poor Jesus. Take courage. It is I. 
Don't be afraid. He's so nice. He doesn't call them a bunch of ignorant heads. Verse 52. This is why I'm bringing this up. For they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. Faith and a tender heart, which by the way go hand in hand, would have taught them, hmm, maybe the same God and his son who just fed 5,000 men right over there a few hours ago, not counting women and children, we're talking 15,000, 20,000 people, right over there just a few hours ago, maybe that same God and his son will protect us and not let a ghost come out and get us. But they did figure that out. Why? Because they had hard hearts. As human beings, as a race, we like to think of ourselves as rational. Wise humans. That's our name for ourselves. Homo sapiens. It literally means wise humans. How to make God laugh. Tell him what we named ourselves. <laughs> the Enlightenment movement we read about in school was just that. A celebration of the light of human reason. We left behind the darkness of medieval superstition and embraced science. And where has that gotten us today? Where did all of our human reason, when divorced from Scripture, gotten us today? Here's just a quick survey. A baby's not a baby. It's just a clump of cells. But a man can have a baby. And censorship is good when removing the Bible from school, libraries. But censorship is bad when removing graphic, pornographic books from school libraries. That's where all of our reason has taken us so far. It gets real quiet when you start talking like this. Getting kind of nervous. <laughs> I just read two days ago about a new school board member for Fairfax County, Virginia. And for his swearing-in ceremony, this man ditched the traditional Bible. You know, you put your hand on the Bible. And he chose a stack of books children's books that are banned in some schools but not in other schools. And uh, one of the books is called Lawn Boy, where two 10-year-old boys are graphically shown doing something which I can't even say from the pulpit. Uh, another one of the books is called All Boys Aren't Blue. I'm not even going to say the other two names because I'm too embarrassed even to say them. But the point of the books is it's all about convincing little boys to think they're girls and little girls to think they're boys. That's what he wanted to swear in on instead of the Bible. And he wants these books in schools. That's where our human reason has taken us so far. And it's not stopping yet. God help us. The truth is that the human mind, once it embraces rebellion against God, is incapable of independent thought. People think that they're forging their own destiny, but they're actually completely captive. Such a mind will always be taken captive by the enemy, in my opinion. I think of it like a boat. If you're in the safe harbor of the word, you're safe. But as soon as you try to go out on your own, you get taken captive immediately. There's no middle ground. That's why scripture refers to the spirit who is at work in those who are rebellious. That's Ephesians 2.2. And it says the God of this age has blinded all unbelievers. That's 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. It doesn't say some. So we're either learning at the feet of Christ or learning at the feet of Satan. There's no one who learns at their own feet. People think they're learning at their own feet. They're not. And we're seeing all around us what the enemy will do to a mind which it has enslaved. Human reason, so-called, becomes pure folly. I don't think much of human reason at all, you can tell. Now, when, when joined with Scripture, 
human reason can be very helpful. I love apologetics. I love that we have a reasonable faith. My dad always says, you don't have to commit intellectual suicide to follow Jesus. And science and religion are not at odds. They're actually perfectly in tandem together. So we do, have, we do love reason when it's submitted to the word of God, right? Otherwise it goes astray. My belief, which I won't, don't expect everyone to agree with, I'm kind of an extremist, human reason outside of Christ is non-existent. Submitted to scripture, human reason is useful, meaningful. The human mind, when not submitted to scripture, will stray, and will stray, and will stray, until all semblance of reason is eventually gone. You may have heard of P.T. Barnum. He uh, did the traveling circus shows in the 1800s, a very famous man back then. He became a millionaire, which back in the 1800s, to be a millionaire was like being a billionaire today. And I have nothing against P.T. Barnum. I'm sure he was a great guy. He grew rich and famous. Nothing wrong with that, right? It's okay. Plenty of people were rich and famous in the Bible, like Abraham. It was a good thing. Here's his last words. Have you ever seen like those lists of last words, and, like famous last words? I like to see what, pe- what was the last thing somebody said. So his, his last words are actually kind of famous. And he said this. You ready? P.T. Barnum. How were the receipts today in Madison Square Garden? He couldn't take a dime with him. How much money did I make today? Boom, gone. Couldn't take any of it with him. He was already a millionaire. Let me ask you this. Is it reasonable to pursue wealth until you're rich? And then, once rich, keep on piling it on up until the moment of your death when you can't take any of it with you. Is that reason? Because that's sure what a lot of people are doing to this day all around us. Thinking about... We always hear about congressmen and women and politicians who are taking bribes. What are these people doing taking bribes when they're in their 80s? You're already rich. What are you going to tell the Lord? You can't take a dime of that with you. Is it reason? Because that's all the world really has to offer. Here's what I'm trying to say. Either we will submit our hearts to Christ and receive real revelation from Him, or we will try to forge our own wisdom, in which case our hearts are invariably captured, led into sin, hardened, and at the end, what passes for wisdom will be pure folly. Now, there's a good side of this. Are you ready? I want to talk with you about the other side, because there is not just a danger to be avoided, but an opportunity to be gained. And the younger you are when you learn this, the better off you will be. Don't put off learning this for another day. If you don't know it yet, today's your day to learn this. A tender heart will receive wisdom and revelation far beyond the person's natural capacity. Even as the hard-hearted can literally see a miracle and fail to believe, the tender-hearted will know deep and vital truths far beyond what they've seen. It's the flip side. Jesus spoke to this in Matthew 11. He had just finished talking about all the towns he had visited who did not repent. And he lifted up his voice After that, and he's speaking about these people, they have hard hearts, they would not repent. But then this is what he says, Matthew 11, 25. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. So as he's traveling around, Capernaum, Bethsaida, Chorazin, all of Galilee, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, and the older generation, did not repent. They liked the miracles. They sure liked getting healed. They didn't believe. But who did believe? 
The little kids. The little kids saw Jesus and some of them probably couldn't even read. But they got it. Why did they get it when their parents and grandparents didn't get it? We're talking about a childlike heart here. We're talking about a tender heart. It gives you wisdom. It gives you understanding. It opens your eyes to see. The scales fall off your eyes, don't they? We learn in Proverbs 1, 7 that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Many of you, like me, have heard people object. Why should we have to fear God? Why does God want us to fear Him? What we're talking about here is a healthy respect. Anything wrong with that? People who know God do fear Him in the sense of having a healthy respect. And people who know God will be tender-hearted towards Him. To know God is to love God. He's wonderful. The only people who don't love Him are the ones that don't know Him. The two go hand in hand. Tender heart, fear of God. And they are vital prerequisites. Yes, I said it. I practiced that word. Vital prerequisites for (laughs) revelation. I love revelation. I'm not a huge fan of human wisdom. I love revelation. Why? Who does it come from? You know the answer. I'm not even going to tell you the answer to that one. Revelation. I guess I am going to tell you because I wrote it down. Revelation comes from God. And he only gives it to those who are right before him. So, I don't know. Why should it be that a tender heart gives you wisdom? Why are they connected? Like I said, I don't know. But sometimes God just does what he wants to do. In fact, Jesus said, You, yes, Father, but this is what you were pleased to do. He just does it because he wants to do it. He's willing to give all sorts of downloads of wisdom, understanding, and revelation to the humble, the meek, the childlike, the tender-hearted. But he will not give anything to those who are hard-hearted. Thank you, God, for who you are. I'm going to end with the whole point of my sermon now, real quick, because we're wrapping this up. I'm going to give you the the point of everything in like 30 seconds. How do we get a tender heart? That would be helpful to know, wouldn't it? (laughs) Since that's the whole point of this sermon. How do you think you get a tender heart? Think about it. How does anything good happen? It has to be from God. This guy, everything he says everything is all about God. He always blames everything on God. Everything good comes from God. Sorry. You're not going to hear any other word from me. Ezekiel 36.25 I, this is God, will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Do you know that when you're moved to obey him, even that is from him? <laughs> he gets the credit for everything from the very beginning to the very end. It's him. It's always him. Your job is to be determined to get a tender heart from him. Be determined. I must have a tender, childlike heart before you. I must. I must have that. More than your new car, more than your new house, more than your new job. I have to have a tender heart. You better be determined. Proverbs 4, 23. Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. And he will give it to you. And then all heaven will break loose in your life. I'm going to pray for you. Be in a receptive mode. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord.
to move in this place, Lord God. If anyone has a heart of stone right now, I pray they'll turn to you with humility and say, in their heart, in their own mind, give me that tender heart. Give me that tender heart. I pray you'll remove hearts of stone in this room right now and turn them to flesh. And let your love pump in and pump out. From you, filling them up and then pouring out into the world. Thank you for the people here who are so tender hearted. Make us even more tender. Make us even more humble. And give us what you promised. Give us those downloads of wisdom, understanding, revelation. Open our eyes to see more than we ought to know, more than we ought to see. Make us even more smarter than we already are. That was a joke. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I pray for everyone here, Lord God, that you will fill them up with all sorts of wisdom and revelation as they humble themselves before you for this Christmas season and for the rest of their lives. Open our eyes to see you, your world, what's going on. Give us that understanding. Make us wise, Lord. We want revelation. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to let my dad close out the service. We're going to have some ministry time. Thank you so much. Stand up. Above all else, guard your heart. For out of it are the wellsprings of life. Very clear. I think many of us today have... You're finding yourself asking God for the miracle of a new heart. Heart of stone being replaced by a heart of flesh. If that's you for the first time, That's called the miracle of rebirth, regeneration, a new heart, a new spirit. God's done it. You're receiving it. It's your job to tell somebody before you leave this building that that happened to you. That's your job. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart. God raised him from the dead. You shall be saved. Your next job is to go public with it by being baptized. We have someone that recently is asking to be baptized, but we'd like to have several be baptized at one time if possible. Save David some work in filling the tank. So if you would like to be baptized in, the, in even before Christmas or the start of the new year, be sure and let us know. We'll get, we'll get you in on that. In these days of Christmas, as we're all so busy preparing for family or preparing for going somewhere, our prayer is that God will keep you safe and in good health. Our prayer will give you that God will give you family restoration, great joy. Those of you that have lost loved ones this last year and it's especially difficult to face Christmas without them, that God will give you comfort and grace and strength and that there'll be an anointing of cheer on your on your life that is supernatural because of his presence, presence with you and on you. We do have a pastoral care team that will be up here in the front to minister body, soul, or spirit to anybody that has a need that you'd like prayer for. And we wish you here at New Song Church a very, very, very Merry Christmas and blessed New Year. We hope that because Christmas... You know, I went to, I went to Walmart to find some Christmas cards. You know, do you know how many cards I saw that had nothing to do with Jesus? Hundreds. Nothing to do with Jesus. You know how many cards I found? Southside Walmart, just in case you want to not go there. <laughs> you know how many cards I found that were about Jesus? 
one. And it was the last one. So I bought it. <laughs> I was disappointed. For us, it's a bigger deal than just, than just the fun of having a holiday. It's a way bigger deal. I hope you'll prayerfully consider not only coming next Sunday morning, but next Sunday night as well for our candlelight service. I hope you'll pray about that. Think about it. It's a one-hour service, and it'll be a profound experience for everybody. We love you. God loves you. Walk in his presence with a tender heart. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you.